There are a bunch of people you'll work with as a software engineer. Many will be other developers, but many will have different roles as well. In this episode, we'll talk about the other people you may work with, the designers, the project managers, the marketers, and more, and how to best work with them. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Sydney. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. Something we often discuss on the podcast is productivity. One tool that helps thousands of web developers and designers do more every day is GoDaddy Pro. Combining site, client, and project management, GoDaddy Pro is an all-in-one solution made by and for web professionals. Whether you're new to web design or looking to grow your business, you'll find free tools, products, guidance, and support to help you deliver results for clients. At the heart of GoDaddy Pro is the hub. From one intuitive dashboard, the hub seamlessly brings your sites, clients, and projects together. Manage and monitor all your clients' WordPress sites from a single place, no matter where they're hosted. With a single click, perform bulk updates, backups, security checks, and more to save time and free up your day. On top of all that, you'll find a thriving community of web designers and developers who share advice, insights, and learning opportunities. GoDaddy Pro is free to join. Head over to go.me forward slash ladybug to get started. Again, that's go.me forward slash ladybug. Let's start talking about some of the people that we work with on a daily basis at our roles. Um, I personally work on a product team. So that means that I work really closely with other product managers. And I think technically my role is classified as that as well, even though my actual title is developer advocate, which is another role we'll talk about uh, throughout this episode. Also work closely with engineering managers and marketing and solutions architects. So those are all roles that we'll talk about today. How about you, Kelly? So I run an agency. And so I hire uh, developers, designers, digital marketing strategists, copywriters, SEO people. Um, I have a director of operations who kind of handles the people management side of things. I've got project managers, and I just hired our first account manager as well. Holy crap. Okay. Most wow. of those are not tech jobs. So <laughs> I have a team of 15 now, I think. Whoa. That's so impressive. That's a lot of people. My payroll is scary. You're kind of a big deal. People know you. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Emma, how about you? Who do you work with on a daily basis? So I work with Craig and Charlotte and Trigby. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I do. But uh, so day to day, I work with my engineering manager, my product manager, design. And I think that's about it. We don't have scrum masters, um, which I'm pretty sure... Wasn't the notorious Spotify model using Scrum? I just realized that, I think. Maybe they weren't. But anyway, yeah, I just realized we don't have Scrum masters. So, yeah, it's really just product design, engineering management, and design. Cool. Let's dive into what these roles are. So the first one is product management. Um, I feel like I always get product management and project management confused. So do I. I didn't realize there were two separate areas. Yeah, I don't know. I always get them so scrambled in my head. I wonder if there is a huge difference. So I believe product management is responsible for the overall direction of 
like business objectives, I'm pretty sure. Um, there's, as far as I know, there's no actual product management degree. It's something that you can major in a bunch of different types of things in college. If you go to college for, I don't know, for like management or, um, data analysis, some kind of like data, um, something or other, or even engineering, you can manage, manage them, you can major in and get into product management through that. Because as far as I know, the product managers I work with, like they studied something else, um, but a lot of them studied like data, not data analysis. What am I thinking of? Like data engineering or something of that nature. Yeah. So on my team, I work with product managers pretty much as like my primary points of contact during the day. And so they guide the development of our products. So I work on AWS's Amplify product, which is a tool for developers to make um their lives easier. But that's a little bit beside the point. So what a lot of what they do is interviewing developers to see what we can do to make our products both best fit their their lives. They weed through customer feedback as well, such as like GitHub issues. We have a Discord channel, things like that, to see what people want from the product. And then they do a lot of prioritizing and a lot of sifting through different ideas to really filter the ones up to the top that are best. And then they deal with like the deadlines and making sure that all of this actually gets done. The Most of the product managers on my team are technical. So that means that they were, for the most part, software engineers before they became product managers. So they know the code and they can understand that piece of it. Um, that being said, I know that that's not universal from team to team necessarily. Yeah, and I think project managers, they they're less like quote unquote technical maybe it's more about like like inter-team processes at like a more granular granular level i think but i'm not sure because i always get the two mixed up i don't do uh, we don't do anything with product managers we're we're purely project um i kind of see product manager as being like a long-term role on you know focusing specifically on a project a product um, like uh, uh, the evolution of it, for example, whereas a project manager in this case would be focusing, you know, more temporary on a spe- like a specific maybe task within or project within a product um, build out. In our case, our project managers are working with each each project is a client. So it's going to be more temporary for us. I found a really great differentiator here. I'm just going to read this and we'll link the resource in the show notes. A product manager's role is strategic, much like a CEO, but for the product. They're the ones who set and own the overall product direction, staying with it until they remove the product from the market. So they talk to users, gather requirements, identify problems and opportunities, create a roadmap and define features, and prioritize development tickets. Project managers, on the other hand, are more tactical, focusing primarily on the execution side. So they actually take the product vision from the product manager, develop a project timeline, and plan the work for the development team to hit important goals and deadlines. So they do more like risk and issue management, planning and resource scheduling, and scope management. There you go. Probably should have looked that up before we just started talking. But hey, you know what? It's fine. We're learning too. Awesome. Okay. Um, I think we've also talked a little bit about design. And there are lots of different types of designers. So one is product design. And I think, Emma, you had mentioned them. What do they do? Um, it really depends. 
product design, I feel like is an umbrella term for all types of designers, whether that be interaction designers, visual designers, user experience designers, um, even design research, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but I do feel like that's the umbrella term. And some companies do differentiate between those different areas of visual UX interaction. Um, IBM did that. Spotify. I don't think Spotify differentiates between them. Um, and when I was at LogMeIn, they also did not. Everyone is just product designer. But at IBM, it was like visual designer, UX designer. Um, but yeah, the, the goal there, obviously, is to design a product to be the best it possibly can for our users. Cool. And then you mentioned a couple others as well. So interaction designers, I think, were the first one. And what do they do? Right. So, I mean, I'm not an expert, but I'm assuming that they design how users physically interact with our product and whether that be micro interactions. So if a user clicks on their hovers over their shopping cart, maybe it has a little micro interaction or an animation to to let them know that, hey, um, or like they add a product to their cart, like maybe the little cart icon like wiggles around to let them know that, hey, it actually did get added successfully, things like that. Um, UI UX designers, um, UI is user interface, UX is user experience. Um, the UI is what the user interface physically looks like. Um, that's what we as front-end developers will typically work with our, our UI or visual design mock-ups. Um, and it, it's really all about making sure your site looks good um, and is accessible. User experience is how the user actually uses your site. And a lot of times these designers will create information architecture maps. So these are literally like you, you'll see like triangles and squares and circles with lines going all different places. These are um, information architecture or no. That's user flows. I'm sorry. User flows are kind of like the map of all the actions your user can take and how they flow through your app, what decisions they have to make at specific points, and what the UI should look like at that point in time. Um, information architecture is literally the architecture of all the information on your site. So you can think of like a navigation. Um, what pages can a user get to from every other page? Um, so those are kind of how user experience works as, as opposed to visual design. They're very different. Um, there are also a bunch of user experience heuristics, and these are basically principles that UX designers use to ensure that everything that they are building is accessible and, um, I don't know, a good standard. So, for example, when you're going through a checkout flow for buying a flight, for example, flights are expensive and you really want to make sure that you are buying a flight for the correct date and time and um, locations, because I know I've personally purchased a flight for the wrong dates and like there's nothing worse. So one UX heuristic is making sure that the user is very clearly aware of all relevant information at every step in that checkout process. Um, and this goes back to accessibility because uh, cognitive disability is real, meaning that some people have a difficulty remembering pieces of information while navigating your site. So at a high level, that's kind of the difference between the three. Well, I also think UX designers do a ton of user research. And so when I've worked with them, it's been like they do surveys so often. And that's a huge piece of their job, more so than what things actually look like. So that the user experience is really good and not necessarily that it just like looks amazing, more that it's a user-friendly. I feel like that's a good segue into UX research as a role as well. 
Yeah, I think for me, like in my experience, though, UX designer and UX researchers are two separate entities, two separate job roles. So, I mean, I guess, again, look, these vary from company to company. Every company has their own structure. Um, in my experience, a research has always been its own designated job title. And it was very different from like UX designer. Not very different. I mean, they're tangential, right? Um, like UX engineer and a front end developer are very similar. So but. interesting. In my experience, they've always been the same role. Mm, okay. So I don't know. But then again, I've also worked mostly startups. And so it depends on the team size. And yeah, if you have, if you are able to, like Shopify has UX researchers and a whole UX design team as well. Of course, that's going to be very separate. Um, we will probably never hire a UX researcher because we're tiny. But um, in this sense, I mean, UX research is is its own role as well. Um, and that, yeah, that's basically, you know, researching how people would use the product. This means you're actually talking to the potential customers, the stakeholders, um, and getting an understanding of how they might interact with a certain. So like I've done some of these UX research studies with Shopify. So they'll present me with a prototype and they actually like they'll record my screen. They'll they'll record me on video and basically ask me questions like, what do you expect this link to do if you click on it? And that that's going to be a little bit more uh, qualitative in in nature in terms of the uh, research you're collecting. Um, whereas you can also, of course, collect quantitative feedback as well um, or quantitative research in general, uh, tracking you know heat maps and uh, seeing you know analytics data and everything like that. Um, and then you get to do the fun stuff like A/B testing, um, you know, where you're testing you know the the, the current state against the, uh, a a different state and you know measuring it against some kind of metric. We do A-B testing for our uh, our clients. It's fun. Mm, we also do it too. I think it's pretty common. Um, if you're interested in trying out doing some A-B testing, even on your site, um, Google Optimize is a free tool that you can use to, to A-B test. Nice. Uh, dev, we didn't even have real designers when I got there because there were only like seven employees. So I also did A-B and testing when I was just a developer. Um, let's transition into talking about something a little bit different and talk about engineering management. And this one is especially one that doesn't fit in the non-tech tech jobs. I think that most engineering managers, actually, this is a really good conversation that we had on a whole episode about engineering management. And most engineering managers are technical, I would say, at least in my experience, though I know that there is very much a divide between um, engineering managers who do not come from an engineering background and those who come from one. Um, so engineering managers pretty much manage engineers, kind of like it sounds like. Uh, make it so that those engineers are advocated for, their careers are taking the arc that they want to take, and then also making it so that they have their work prioritized, make sure that they're doing what they need to. Um, some do the HR type conversations as well. Um, I've worked for companies that have like matrix management, which is really interesting, where you have a technical manager and then like an HR manager where the HR manager takes care of all the like um, sick leave and payment and things like that. And then the technical manager has to do more with the um, like day-to-day -day operations and what you're doing at your job, but it's going to look very different everywhere. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I have, I have one, um, I, we, we call him director of technology, but again, we're a smaller team, um, who is essentially an engineering manager. And I think it's an important distinction here, um, in that you mentioned that a lot of, a lot of, uh, previous software engineers, you know, if they take the management route, they had that prior software engineering experience in this case. Um, uh, so Josiah, our director of technology, he spends a lot more time on the people side of things, working with the, the developers to make sure they have what they need. But he's still digging into the code as well. So he is, you know, he has his kind of his tasks. Again, we're a small team. So he's still actively working on client projects, but he's also more so facilitating the needs of the developers on our team to make sure that, you know, if they're running into an issue, they can, you know, pair program with Josiah to make sure that he can, you know, they can move past whatever, whatever uh, bug they're stuck on. We also in the past have recorded an episode about engineering management. We recorded it with Amel Hussein, who is one of my co-hosts on JS Party as well. And we discussed everything about engineering management. She at the time was an engineering manager for NPM. So if you're interested, we're going to link that in the show notes. I've had managers who were both technical and non-technical. Uh, and let me tell you, the the managers... Okay, this is a double-edged sword. Um, the... One manager I had who was not technical, she was like business. She was an executive. Um, this made it very difficult for me to progress my career because she didn't understand the nuances of a development role. And so it was really difficult for her to gauge like what I was doing well on, what I was needing to improve upon. So I do think being technical definitely helps if you are a manager. Um, but that being said, I've also had engineering managers who you could tell really just wanted to code all the time. And as a result, they slacked on their employee duties and this really upset me like I remember this one specific time I was very upset about something like crying at work upset and my manager was just kind of ignoring me on slack and like he was in the building <laughs> like he ignored me on slack but he was posting in one of our channels about writing a technical blog and like coding like like writing up a coding blog and I just remember thinking like if you're going to be an engineering manager you need to understand the fact that like people are first you will still probably have time for coding. My current manager at Spotify is wonderful because he's technical. He does contribute like code to our product, but he like the people come first and he will drop what he is doing to take care of us if we need it. So just be aware that like, yeah, your priorities are going to shift. It doesn't mean you can never code, but your people should come first. Um, Speaking of, well, just that in general, um, I really want to recommend the book Crucial Conversations. Um, I've been reading it with, um, both of my, uh, my managers and it's, it's a really, really good read. Just kind of like talking about how to recognize when a conversation is kind of going sideways and how to bring it back on topic. Um, recognizing your own kind of behaviors you take when, when things, you know, like you might get defensive or start taking a sort of a flight or a fight or flight kind of approach to uh, a conversation that's turned crucial. Um, definitely, definitely recommend. Awesome. I'd also recommend Lara Hogan's Resilient Management and honestly, all of her content as well. It's really amazing. I was kind of in the process of interviewing to be an engineering manager before I became a developer advocate this time around. And her resources were really helpful for putting it all in perspective and giving a lot of insight into how to best support teams. So really recommend her work as well. 
Cool. Um, I think there's a whole nother category of jobs that we should talk about as well. And those are the ones that get the product in front of people. So marketing, sales, business development, all kind of fit under that umbrella. They all have very different roles, but let's talk a little bit about them. So first off, marketing, they do a lot with advertising and making it so that your product gets in front of people and makes it so that if people see like a landing page about your product, that that actually converts and those people become users of your product. Yeah, definitely. And one book I read about marketing from a perspective where you don't need a marketing degree is called Growth Hacker Marketing. It's super short. It's maybe like 80 pages and it was super interesting. How many times can I say super, super. on this podcast? Drink it. Take a shot every time I say super. Um it's a really great book if you're interested in learning more about how to market your products without having a marketing degree. Uh, and I actually have a business minor and I really enjoyed marketing, but, and I, I, to be fair, I do think marketing is a great skill to have as a developer. If you are building your own products, like, um, we have a ton of episodes about content creation and all this stuff. If you're going to create content, you need to know how to market yourself. So if you're looking to learn more about that, check out Growth Hacker Marketing. Cool. Another one is sales. And so that one's a little bit different than marketing because marketing is the top of the funnel. Like they're there to build awareness for the most part. And then sales moves down the funnel a little bit and it's converting those people into paying customers, essentially. Um, I don't necessarily work with salespeople on a day-to-day basis, but they're another type of person that you may hear from at some point in your software engineering job. I would say it's more rare though. Yeah. I mean, it really depends again, how the the company is structured, how big of the company is that you're working for. So like um, we had a business development representative very briefly um, who kind of would, would interface with their developers because they needed estimates for how long things would take and complexity and building out the scope of work and stuff like that. Um, now that's, we've kind of we don't have a, a BDR anymore. So we actually more focus on account management instead. Um, and our account management is involved in the early sales process as well as the um, the ongoing um, the ongoing kind of upselling and, and client happiness and stuff like that. So um, in, in the agency space, developers definitely interface with sales. There you go. And then another one is business development. And business development is like creating relationships between companies and creating partnerships between them. So say you have a product, some other company has a product, and you want to have some sort of interface between those two products. Business development would work on those types of relationships. My dad actually does business development, and he used to work in sales. He works for Red Hat. And so he works a lot to like create those relationships with other companies. Those are those roles. Again, I have not really worked with sales or business development, though my work as a developer advocate, I do speak more with marketing. For sure. One other job I think is really interesting is technical writer. Have you all worked with technical writers in the past? Um, Only like alongside people who work at Shopify. I haven't, but I've spoken with some at like conferences before and it seems like a cool role. And this one again is probably, most of them probably have some sort of technical background too. The only content writers I've worked with, I'm not certain that they were technical. Like I think one maybe had a degree in writing, 
but I wouldn't say that they have like a large amount of knowledge on encoding or development or anything like that. I think their primary purpose is to understand language and to some extent they need to understand how the product works. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's a super like coding focused job. Like you don't need to know how to code to be a technical writer. But if we take a look at a job posting for a technical writer at Amazon, let's see what type of qualifications someone who wants to become a technical writer should have. Um, it's really all fo mostly focused on strong written and verbal communication skills. That's going to be your primary job is communicating through written language. Um, you're you're going to need experience with web services and related technologies for the specific role. But typically, I think most companies, if they're going to hire a technical writer, depending upon the level, they might potentially want you to have an experience with the type of technology you will be building. Um, it's a lot of attention to detail and interpersonal skills, um, being able to pivot in a, a fast-paced environment. I think that goes for any job role, though. Um, but the ability to understand new features, learn how they work, and document them in crisp, easy-to-follow language. Experience working with product managers to ensure that content is technically accurate and written for the appropriate audience. And lastly, experience working with designers on concise, helpful user interface text. So it's not just about documenting your product. It's also about the text that goes into your user interface that users physically interact with. Um, it seems like a really interesting role. Like, I like to write. I feel like that's something I would enjoy doing. Yeah, I think I would hate it too. But I think this is another one that really depends a lot on the role. I think I was talking to some technical writers at Google who were former software engineers who had transitioned into this. So I think that's where I got my bias from is that, that um, talking to them. But yeah, so interesting how many different roles there are out there and how different they look from team to team. Yeah. So the next one, um, which I actually already mentioned, is account management, um, which also kind of falls under uh, like client happiness or customer success. Um, so these are more people who are supporting your supporting the end users on on the product or service that's being used. Um, they're working really closely uh, with our developers um, because whenever a client asks for a specific feature, um, they need to go to the developers and be like, is this possible? How long is it going to take? And then they work with the project manager to actually fit it into the schedule um, based on whether or not the scope is approved. So, For sure. This is actually one that I saw a lot of my students transition into. So people who did like coding boot camps, a lot of them would transition specifically into customer success engineering roles if maybe they weren't completely ready to mm -hmm. transition into full software engineering. That's interesting to me because I feel like a customer success engineer has like it requires more knowledge of the product area. And I would expect that to be a more senior person. But let's take a look at a job posting for a customer success engineer at Reddit. So responsibilities include having a strong understanding of the market, clients, partners, and technology, being able to execute deep troubleshooting and drive resolution of customer issues as quickly as possible, use JIRA <laughs> to record, track, and progress and escalate application issues, collaborate with various teams just to ensure your problems are resolved effectively, provide product feedback and insights to the business and development teams, assist users in understanding how to appropriately use the platform, and also assist various application testing activities and internal projects as needed. So I don't know, to me, that sounds more of like an architect level role. Like I would expect someone to be an engineer, a software engineer prior to shifting into that. But you said, Allie, that your students didn't yeah, do it's, that. Yeah, it's actually like 
they're very different roles. But if you're more, because this is this is oh. more think think more in terms of like supporting the flow of knowledge and the flow of conversation, as opposed to having to have all of the technical knowledge required in order to uh, move things along. They're they're facilitators. Um, in the, in in making sure those who know that those who have questions and those who have the answers actually can communicate. It's a support engineer yes. type of role, right? Like I remember yeah. I was an intern at IBM and I actually I didn't interview for a role, but I interviewed people in that role to see if it's something I'd like. And they had different levels, like level one, level two, level three. And the level that you were corresponded to whether you could physically like come up with a code solution or whether you just looked through a book to see if the okay that makes yeah. sense now yeah I think that there's so many different levels to this one too so my team right now is actually looking for somebody to fill a role like this and it is a more mid to senior level role from what I understand and that is because our product is a code product and so they're going to be debugging people's code in order to figure out how to best support them but from what I understand maybe if it's not a code product or something like that, maybe it could be something that somebody who's a little bit more junior could go into that role or somebody who's like not, not necessarily looking to become yeah. Yeah, a software engineer that's, at all. That's what, you know, like the account manager that's starting next week for us, she does, she's not a, she's not a software engineer. She's not, she has no development experience whatsoever, even though we're a development agency. But uh, her, like, Part of her role will require understanding how we work and what ter- like what tech stack we're using, what tools we use, how we use those tools, but not necessarily having to know like how to write code. Hmm. Cool. Awesome. Let's talk about two other, or let's talk about QA engineers while we're on this kind of theme. So, I have never been on a team with true QA engineers. Have you all? Yeah. Um, I My first job at IBM, as well as actually my second job at LogMeIn, both had designated quality assurance engineering roles. Um, and these were the people responsible. I believe they were responsible for writing end-to-end tests. Um, we have an entire episode about testing, if I'm not mistaken, with Angie. Yeah. Which we were going to – we'll link in the show notes as well. Um, and she discusses the different types of testing, be that like regression testing, unit testing, and end testing. And I believe QA engineers are responsible more for like end-to-end testing, automating tests. I actually was a testing intern at IBM before I like graduated college. I worked on the quality assurance team and I actually, uh, I automated the installation of WebSphere application server on ZOS using Python. And it was like super strange. I had to use Selenium. I didn't like it. it wasn't for me. Um, but I do massively respect quality assurance engineers. A lot of them actually start out as product develop, like product engineers and switch in. Um, or a lot of people I know as well start out as quality assurance engineers and then transition into software development because oftentimes it requires you to know how to code. Um yeah, I think this one's really interesting because there's a broad range of like technical and non-technical versions of this. Like there are QA engineers that I know that do nothing technical. They just are on the site, like making sure it works and following different user flows and making sure that like a zero in the form field works properly. But then there are people who are writing full-blown test suites and writing code all day, every day. So I think that this really, really, really 
is different between different companies. So I actually just pulled two job listings from my husband's company. He works for the Intercontinental Exchange as a QA analyst, which is basically like their entry level working in QA and a senior QA engineer. Uh, so the QA analyst is going to be focusing on, on you know, testing and supporting of applications in the global software platforms, um, collaborating with the internal groups on how to actually, you know, analyze the data and mitigate any kind of risks, communicate with the customers in non-technical terms to propose solutions, which is a very important part of that. Uh, and, you know, just the typical multitasking, working on multiple projects, et cetera. And writing and maintaining tests is part of that. However, if you look through the actual requirements, it does not require you to know how to code. On the senior QA engineer side of things, you are actually doing, you know, much more deeper written tests and, and test plans and summaries and everything. Um, the senior level uh, QA engineer definitely requires more um more development knowledge. So it's potentially something that you, as you continue to grow in the QA space, you're going to learn some some development as you go. Okay, let's talk about another one that I have no experience with, and that is Scrum Masters. And this, they belong to kind of the agile process and help facilitate that. Have either of you worked with Scrum Masters in your career? Nope. Indeed. I have at two companies of the three, um, IBM and LogMeIn. They had designated Scrum Master roles. Um, Let's just this is going to be a super hot take. I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like Agile has good intentions, but fails miserably and hinders developer productivity. I enjoy the idea of a Scrum Master <laughs> to facilitate Scrum and Agile processes. Um, let's talk really quickly. What do you do as a Scrum Master? Um, coordination of Scrum events and backlog refinement. Uh, coaching teams to become more and more Agile in their ability to deliver working software clear impediments for the team, maintain and acknowledge the sprint release goals, monitor and seek to strengthen the overall health of the backlog. So there's a lot of like, it seems more like project management, but also team relations. Um, and at both IBM and LogMeIn, we were on two week sprints. So we'd have a backlog, we'd have Oh, gosh, sprint planning, which was a two hour meeting, then sprint refinement the next day, which was two hours, then maybe get some work done. We'd have stand up every day for like 15 to 30 minutes a day every morning. Um, and then we would do a retrospective the second to last day of the sprint for like two hours where we talked with the scrum master about what went well, what didn't go well. Honestly, I felt like the majority of the time it wasted so much time and energy. Like I feel like a lot of these things can be done asynchronously at Spotify. Like we don't have traditional like scrum practices but we still do retrospectives we still do sprint planning we just don't have like these two hour blocks of time for each of these meetings and it's a lot more autonomous like we are expected to like kind of size our own work and make sure we're not overbooked and it works really well so i don't know that's my hot take but (laughs) i have zero experience working with scrum masters so i have no opinion yeah same here i don't know always interesting how different structures are at different places for sure. Then let's talk about developer relations, developer advocacy, and then solutions architects, which I think are really similar. At least they are at AWS. So developer advocacy is what I do right now. Um, And this looks so different depending on the company. So it can range from borderline non-technical. In fact, I think that there are non technical developer relations people that are out there. I think it's more rare, but then there are 
people like me who write code all day, every day pretty much is their job. It's just not contributing to the product. Instead, it's to be converted into demos that are then shared with the public. So it is, I see it as a hybrid of software engineering, marketing, and product. So I work on the product team, and a lot of my job is facilitating feedback to product. So I get it from uh, online conversations, from um, comment sections, from uh, chats that we have, and then bubble that up to make sure that that feedback is getting is received by product team, and then um, also make it so that there's public awareness of the products that we have and make it so that they understand. So it's like education and all of that. So, but again, this works very differently in other places. I've heard that in other places they work more closely or under the marketing team. So it's more like that or some it's more like technical writing. So this is going to be really different depending on the company. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like of any of all of us, you have the most experience when it comes to dev relations. Again, we have another episode with Kim Maida uh, where we talked about developer evangelism, advocacy. I don't remember what the other one was. Um, we'll link these again in the show notes. If you hear us mention a book or an episode, it will be linked in the show notes. Um, but if we take a look again, let's take a look at another job posting. I think this is really interesting to see what different companies are requiring uh, as far as qualifications. So to be a developer advocate at Apple, you are going to want to be skilled at helping developers identify, navigate, and overcome technical or systematic complexities to drive adoption of new technology. You really need to be able to speak fluidly and influence technical and non-technical decision-making. You have to have great written communication and facilitation skills. Um, a lot of what Ali already said. And again, you know, developer advocacy and developer evangelism. And I don't remember. What's the third one? Do you remember? Developer advocacy, developer evangelism, and developer relations? Is that relations, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like evangelism is external facing where you would like go to conferences and speak to people about your product, right? I think developer evangelism, from what I can tell, is like kind of on its way out. So historically, okay. it was like people that mostly just spoke at conferences. And from what I can tell, that title is kind of being faded out at most places and being replaced with developer advocacy and developer relations. But again, like oh. I would, and developer relations, as far as I can tell, is like the umbrella term for everybody. And then a lot of people with developer relations titles maybe are a little bit more focused on the community and a little bit less focused on code and developer advocacy might be a little bit more uh, public facing. But again, this is one that it's going to be a very different role at different places. And so make sure that you know mm. what you're getting into for that exact role. Yeah, Kim Kim gave, I remember she gave great explanations for those terms. So if you're interested, go check out that episode. Um, but yeah, I do remember distinctly there was one that was more public facing, writing blog posts, creating YouTube videos, speaking at conferences, and one that was more about developer success internally with tooling and all of that. So uh, yeah, that that is yeah a large umbrella area, and I think honestly, I think that between that and management, those are like the two fields long term I want to go to. I do not want to be a product developer forever. Um, yeah, so I think one of those two is where I'm headed. 
and again, I just say, if you're looking to transition into it, talk about what the role actually is at that company. If it's a marketing role, if it's a speaking role, if it's combination. I really like being on the product team because it means that I can really bubble up feedback and discuss with the people who are building the thing. So I like that. Um, another role that is closely related, at least it is at EWS, is solutions architects. And they at least at AWS, are more like internal-facing developer advocates. So instead of their content being like super public-facing, instead they are working with customers to build demos and figure out how different technologies integrate to have the best solutions for those customers. So again, this probably looks different at different companies, but it is usually, at least in my experience, a pretty senior role. And is pretty code heavy as well. But instead of working on the product and writing code for the product, you're writing more like demos and working on integrations and things like that. I have zero experience with this one. I've worked with architects in the past, but I don't know if they're necessarily, yeah, I guess they were solutions architects. Like at my first role, I worked with one. I guess I've worked with like all of these people <laughs> basically. Um, but it was a lot of, yeah, it was working closely with stakeholders to understand needs, um, defining strategy. This is, uh, I think this is a role that you need a lot of experience for, like several years at least under your belt. Um, and it does help if you're a software engineer prior, um, but you're expected to be able to architect solutions. Um, so you need to understand the entire system as well as be like, have a lot of vertical knowledge. So I definitely agree that being said, I do believe that I had a lot of students for at my boot camp get solutions architects roles as well. So it must be one of those ones that's like tiered as well, where it means something different oh, in different sure. companies. But at AWS, it is more of a senior role. I feel like there's a lot of things that I'm just never going to have experience with just because I run an agency and this it just doesn't make sense for us to hire for these people. So it's always interesting learning, you know, what it's like working at a more quote unquote normal company, like a product company um, where it makes sense to actually hire for these roles. Oh, for sure. And most of my experience is at, again, early stage startups where everybody's doing 18 roles instead of one. Um, and so I think Emma probably has the best experience working with all these different people because she's worked at more mm. like mid to large size companies. Yeah, and I've also worked at like on a design team, but also in a product engineering team. So I've and a quality assurance team. So like I've done it all, I guess, <laughs> which is good, but it's also kind of like affected my career path. So like you know, <laughs> double edged sword. <laughs> yeah, I guess the thesis of this conversation is that these roles look different everywhere, but you will be working with a lot of people as a developer. Um, you probably will not be siloed, and so it's good to know what people's jobs are. And something that I try to do is like look into that person's role when I have meetings with them just so that I know that or I can speak best to what their problems and background is going to be. For sure. Cool. Any other last thoughts? I think it's just I think it's just an important note that like you don't need to be technical forever. Like I don't want to stay when I say technical, I mean like coding day to day. I don't mean you don't need technical knowledge, but I don't want to code for the rest of my life. Like, in fact, yeah. I'd rather switch to like management sooner rather than I later. don't code much anymore. 
And it's like every single time I end up back in a project again, where I'm maybe like the primary developer on on a particular project, I'm like, I regret this and I already hate this and I want to go back to not doing development work and then, you know, I miss it and jump back into it and then I hate it again and it's the cycle. But as, you know, running an agency now, I'm more focused on on growing my business and taking care of my team and everything. So I don't get to code as much, but I think it's, for me, it's the right move. For others, of course, it's not necessarily going to be. Yeah, I do sometimes miss working on product code. Like, again, I do get to write code every day and it's a big piece of my role, but I definitely do miss in some ways like actually contributing to the product itself. And I was also, though, looking to become an engineering manager because working with people is so rewarding and seeing their growth is really, really awesome. So I think for me, I need some sort of hybrid of working with people and working with code. And so being like an individual contributor, software engineer is a little tough for me. But yeah, just be aware that like management is not easier. It's different. Like you're going to have your own set of different challenges. I think people see management and they're like, oh, it's easier. And it's like, no, it's it's different. different. It's not easier. (laughs) Oh, for sure. And I also just went back to individual contributor job too, is that I I used to have people that um, kind of reported to me and now I don't. And it's, that's a big transition too, is going back to, back to that. So anyways, let's do shout outs. So uh, Kelly, you want to go first? Yeah. So I tweeted about this the other day. I am using things three across my phone, my Mac and my iPad, and I absolutely love it. Um, I use Notion for like note taking for for like deeper notes and, and lists and databases and stuff like that. But like for like a to do list, it's really helpful having everything separated out by project. So I have, you know, my taproom stuff, the the podcasts, uh, various tasks that I have there, various home to do's as well. Like, hey, don't forget to call my grandma for her birthday. Um, it's been it's been a really, really, really helpful app. And I absolutely love it. So I wanted to shout that out. It is a really good app, actually. I oscillate between that one and Trello. I think Trello is better for me right now because I have pipelines, but I did like things three a lot. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like I just rotate through productivity tools. It's probably... (laughs) Which hinders productivity, ironically. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's like I got to get in this system and take all this time to get in this system. Anyways, I... Emma, do you have a shout out? Yeah, there's this game I bought. I haven't played it yet, but I'm super excited to play it. It's called So We're Not Really Strangers. It's like, it's so cool. It's basically, it's meant to play with either a total stranger or people in your life that you already know uh, to get to know each other better. And um, they have expansion packs if you're like dating someone new or if you're in a relationship and you want to like get to know people better. It's just a series of cards with questions on them like, um, what about me really attracted you to me? Or, um, I don't know. I'm trying, I, I'm just, I don't know. I can't even remember. Like, um, what was your first impression of me if you, or what do you think I do for a living if you don't know me? Um, it's just a series of like cards for getting to know someone better. Nice. Mine is a really random shout out. It's for Purple Carrot. So Purple Carrot is a meal delivery service. It has all vegan food. I eat mostly vegan. And it is really, really nice. The food is really good. And it's so convenient to just have them like mail food to your house (laughs) and learn how to do the recipes, especially in this year with the pandemic and 
all of that. So I've been really enjoying it. And I think my favorite one is they had these like imitation crab cakes. So they were vegan crab cakes. Very good. Also pumpkin ramen. Very good. So would mm. recommend. Yeah. I, I'm kind of sad that y'all are mentioning these really cool products and services that I can't have access to. Oh, no. It, I wonder where it's – it's probably just the United States. Yeah. Most oh, no. of those meal deliveries systems are, are specific not only to, like, the country you're in, but specific regions within the country as well. Oh, really? That's so sad. Yeah, I used to do meal pal when I lived in uh, New York and D.C., and that was really nice, too. You pay, like, $5 for lunch, and then you can order it from places. Anyways, that was very tangential. Um, if you like this episode, please tweet about it. We'll select one tweeter to win a copy of one of the books that we discussed this week. We post new podcasts every Monday, so make sure to subscribe to be notified. We also have a YouTube channel, so check that out and leave a review. Talk to you next week. Bye.